and I'm privileged this morning to share a, a message uh, this morning from Matthew chapter 2, entitled, Gifts Worthy of a King. Gifts Worthy of a King. Let me pray for us one more time, and we'll get started here this morning. King Jesus, Lord, uh, says, um, hark the herald angels sing. That means listen, <laughs> listen, listen to the angels singing. Glory to the newborn king. And so, Lord, we don't want the angels to steal all the praise, God. We want to give you the praise, King Jesus, that you're worthy of. Uh, and so this morning, that's what we do. We come together on this Christmas Eve, Lord, as your people, to, 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 to behold you, God, not just a baby born in a manger, Lord, but the God-man uh, crucified on the cross to bear the penalty for our sins, to bear the wrath do our sins, that we might be forgiven, that we might be gifted a righteousness that we could never earn, that we might have the hope of eternal life through trust in you. And so, Lord, bless us today as your gathered people. Lord, let us today offer to you gifts worthy of a king. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. It is December 24th, 2023. On December 24th, 2022, Hillside Baptist Church gathered for the first time in this very room. And my heart is so full today to think about all that God has done. When we think about Christmas, we think about gifts oftentimes. But of course, Christmas is not about the gifts we give one another, uh, nor is it about a chubby bearded man who has no self-control around cookies. Um, Christmas is about the greatest gift that has ever been given, not a gift that we give to other people, but the gift God gave to us, the gift of God the Son to the glory of God the Father. Every other gift comes through Him. It is through the gift of Jesus Christ that the church exists. It's through the gift of Jesus Christ that this church exists. And over the past year, he has lavished his gifts and grace upon us. And I'm truly grateful, and I'm truly humbled and amazed by that. A year ago, I would have never imagined that ministry could be so sweet. But here we are. And there's faces here that I know and love, some I've known for a long time, some I've only known for this past year or less, but I don't love any of you any less. We have prayed, God send us souls, and he's done that. And I don't think he's done doing it either. And I believe God wants to do more, too, for Hillside Baptist Church, not because we deserve it, but because he's that good. And so while in the end... In the end, we're not the ones who gives to God, it's God who gives to us. Nevertheless, as those who have been saved by grace, we do give to God out of love, out of gratitude, and out of joy. And this morning, what I want to reflect this, this Christmas Eve on is, is how we might render to Jesus gifts worthy of a king. That's what I talk about this morning from Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you're able and willing, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 2, 
verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Five gifts. <clears throat> Worthy of a king that we want to talk about this morning. Number one is journey, worthy of a king. Journey, worthy of a king. Number two is commotion, worthy of a king. Commotion, worthy of a king. Number three, joy, worthy of a king. Joy, worthy of a king. Number four, worship, worthy of a king. And then finally, number five, presence, worthy of a king. Presence, worthy of a king. First, let's talk about a journey, worthy of a king. It says there that in, the days, uh, uh, in those days uh, of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay, so when it says there <clears throat> that these wise men suddenly showed up from the east, this was happening probably some months and perhaps even up to as many as two years after Jesus' birth. And the way we figure that is that after they, they leave without stopping by Herod again, right? Herod uh, had ascertained the time the star had appeared, and he ordered that all the children to and under be killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. So it's, it's probably as much as up to two years after Jesus was born that these, these magi are showing up, and that's literally the Greek word magi. So it could mean magician or sorcerer, or likely probably what it means is they were very high-ranking government officials probably from the kingdom of Persia, probably astrologers of some sort, okay? And they arrived in Jerusalem most likely with a very large entourage, okay, with their nobility kind of uh, out there for everybody to see. And when they show up, and naturally they cause quite a stir in the city, all right? And why would these important men travel so far and show up here unannounced. And and if we're correct that they're from the kingdom of Persia, that means they have traveled some 800 to 900 miles, probably on camelback, okay, and probably at a pretty slow pace, and uh, it would have easily taken them months to travel that far. And so the question, of course, 
for the people in Jerusalem was like, you know, why did they come? Why are they here? All right, well, since they are most likely astrologers and since ancient civilizations placed really high importance on the movement of celestial bodies, all right, we are not surprised to find out that they have shown up because of a star, of a star, okay? And <clears throat> now, it's interesting because there's actually some, you know, historical document, historical evidence, some writings from the, the first century that actually indicate that uh, people in the Middle East um, had this, uh, this kind of understanding that a, a celestial event would mark the coming of a ruler from the land of Judea. Now, where that belief came from, we're not 100% sure, although we do know this, that during the Babylonian exile, the Jews, a, a, a large number of exiled Jews lived in the area of Babylon. Well, Babylon was later taken over by the Persians, okay? And it's possible that through the Jews who remained in the land of Babylon, they picked up on this prophecy. There's a famous prophecy from Numbers chapter 24 from a guy named Balaam. Now, you remember Balaam because he's the one who uh, his donkey talked to him. So if you're you know, if you come to church one Sunday and you say, Pastor, my donkey talked to me yesterday, you know, in my head I'll make a mental note to make sure you get some professional help, all right? But Balaam, Balaam actually, it actually happened, right? God opened the donkey's mouth because he wasn't listening to God. So if your donkey talks to you, either you're being really disobedient to God or you're a little off your rocker, all right? So neither one's good, all right? But in Numbers 24... There's this prophecy from Balaam, and this is what it says. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So there's this prophecy, this expectation linked to a star of a ruler coming to uh, Judea. All right? And so they see this star. Now think about this, right? They live, you know, close to a thousand miles away. They're not Jews, okay? They're not Jews. They don't have all the Old Testament. They don't have all the, the, the Jewish history. They don't have all the Jewish faith and belief. All they have is a star. And what do they do? They travel almost a thousand miles to find Jesus so that they could worship him. And guess what? Those all around, those right there in Judea, had no clue. They had no idea what they were. They had no idea that, that was going on. But my question for us to think about this when we're thinking about gifts worthy of a king, the question that this presses upon us is would we pack up everything and go on a journey if that's what God called us to do? Would, what journey is too hard or too long when Jesus is at the end of it? What, what call does God have on your life? If God gave you a star, whatever that, whatever that star is, if God put a star in your life and said, you know what, I, this is what I want you to do, this is where I want you to go, will you be like the Magi? Will you, will you pack up and go? so that you can see the king? Or will we just sit where we are, right? Is there any journey that you wouldn't take for Jesus? I think that's the question, right? 
We, this Christmas, as we're thinking about this, I want to I be able to say, let's, let's give Jesus gifts worthy of a king. And for some of us, that may mean a journey. Not, not, maybe not even a physical journey. Maybe a, maybe a spiritual journey from where we are right now to where God wants us to be. What is keeping us, right? For the Magi, right, there was this physical distance that kept them that was keeping them from Jesus. And they said, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to close that gap. Maybe, it, maybe the distance between you and Christ right now isn't physical. Maybe it's something different. But Jesus is telling you today, hey, close that gap. Make the worthy, make the journey worthy of a king, number one. Number two, commotion worthy of a king. Commotion worthy of a king. It says when they arrived, they were looking for the king and king, uh, the newborn king, and King Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So this entourage shows up, these powerful people show up, these wealthy, royal-looking people show up, and it throws the whole city into confusion. And Herod's kind of panicking because he's like, what, king? All right, and he assembles together all the priests and scribes, and they go into a frenzy to figure out what's happening and where this, the Messiah was supposed to be born. And he, and he does all this under this pretense of wanting to worship Jesus, when in reality... And we've talked about Herod before. Herod was a maniac, all right? He was, he was, um, uh, he was uh, highly uh, suspicious of, of, of people. He was kind of out of his mind. He had one of his own sons killed, fearing that that son was trying to usurp his throne, all right? And so, and we know that he's crazy because when the, the, the wise men left the other way, he ordered to, to basically murder a whole generation of babies around Bethlehem, all right? So, so everything's crazy, everything's, everything's frantic, there's this huge commotion. Why? Because the wise men's arrival marks something very important. It marks what? It marks the birth of a king. It marks the birth of a king. And guess what? When a king is born, that creates a commotion. That creates a commotion. All right? We sing the song, Silent Night, Holy Night. I don't know if you've ever been in a room when a baby is being birthed. I've seen it five times. It's not silent, all right? And it may be holy, but it's not silent, all right? It's quite a commotion, all right? Uh, and how much more the birth of a newborn king, all right? And not just the birth. I mean, this is, this is a massive deal, right? This is God's son. This is the king of the Jews. This is the Messiah being born. This is the one prophesied by scripture, right? In, in the book of Micah that, that, uh, that is cited there. Uh, Micah wrote 700 years before Jesus was born, telling the exact place that in which he would be born. In fact, if you go through, you know, what's fascinating, right, is that Mary and Joseph didn't even live in Bethlehem, all right? They were from Nazareth, okay? And so what did God do? Well, he, he caused a, world, a Roman wide census just to get them to travel to Bethlehem at the right time so that Jesus would fulfill the prophecy, right? It's amazing. And so, and so there, Jesus is born in, in, in Bethlehem, which is what? Which is David's hometown, right? Bethlehem was David's hometown, all right? And Jesus is what? He's the heir of David. He's the heir to David's throne, God's anointed king. And so the, and so the point here is that Jesus' birth created all this commotion, created all this commotion with the, I mean, the whole Roman Empire, right? They did a whole census. It created a whole commotion in Jerusalem when the Magi showed up, right? Right? 
Jesus, when Jesus shows up, it makes a commotion. My question to us this morning is, has Jesus yet made a commotion in your life? Because let me tell you something. When you meet, when you meet Jesus, when you really meet Jesus, your life's going to change. It's, it's just going to happen, Right? Right? I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science, right? We've all met people in life that, that, that when we meet them, it changes our lives, right? Maybe for some of us, that's a spouse. But, or maybe it's some, you know, sometimes it's that, that first child or something like that. But none of that compares to when you meet Jesus. When Jesus comes into your life, everything changes. <laughs> you know, the, the earliest Christians, when Paul and them were preaching the gospel, they they chased them out of the cities because everywhere they went, they said they were, you, they were turning the world upside down. Well, they weren't turning the world upside down. Jesus was turning the world upside down. They were just preaching Jesus. And so the question, so maybe for you, maybe for me this Christmas, what we, what we don't need maybe is not a silent night. Maybe we need a holy commotion. Maybe we need Jesus to bust up in our temple and start turning some tables over. Maybe he wants to give us, maybe we've been stuck in a rut in our spiritual lives, and maybe this Christmas Jesus wants to give you the gift of a, of a new holy commotion in your life. A new fresh work of the Holy Spirit to animate us, to stir us afresh, to shake us out of our infatuation with the world, out of that same old, same old, to, to, to begin to serve and worship Jesus in a new and fresh way this coming year. Jesus is here. He's here. You know? Those angels, they went out. Those angels went to the shepherds, and, you know, that's a strange group of people to want to announce it to, but that's who they went to, right? They announced to the shepherds, hey, within walking distance of where you are right now, God's son has been born. It's a pretty big deal. And Jesus is here, too. He's here with us right now. And so let's just, so let's not... Let's not sit in the pews and sour. Let, I pray that there will always be a holy commotion at Hillside Baptist Church. Being stirred up in service to the Lord, to the newborn king. So journey worthy of a king, commotion worthy of a king. Number three, I love this one. Joy worthy of a king. Joy worthy of a king. So these magi, they show up in Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and naturally, right, kings are born in, in the capital, right? Right? Well, not this time. The scripture foretold that it would be Bethlehem that he would be born in, and they had followed a star to locate Jesus, and apparently uh, they, this, they, they lost sight of the star, and then at this time, as they're looking for him, and he's not in Jerusalem, right, the star reappears, all right? The star reappears, and, you know, and it guides them directly to the place where Jesus was. You know, now, I mean, it's possible that this was some celestial phenomena because God is in control of those two, but I think much more likely it was just a miraculous star, that God was just saying, hey, this is the star. You follow this star, you're going to find my son. But what's important here for us is that when they saw the star, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
right? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because now, having the star's guidance, they knew exactly where to find Jesus. But this language, we don't even talk like this in English, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, the, the adverb, little grammar lesson here, <laughs> the adverb exceedingly, right, it could actually go with rejoice or it could go with great joy. It could be they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. But either way, right, it means the same thing. That, that uh, Matthew is grasping for words to try to, ex- to describe the amount of joy that they had when they saw the star. Why? Because the star was showing them the way to Jesus. And so there's no better time, I think, than Christmas to remember that there is no greater joy than being with Jesus. There's no greater joy than being in the presence of Jesus, right? There are many ways that we can glorify God, but probably one of the greatest ways we can glorify God is just rejoicing in God. Rejoicing that we found him, rejoicing that we're with him, rejoicing that we know him, right? Just knowing, loving, being known, and being loved by someone wonderful is the source of greatest joy. And no one is more wonderful than Jesus, right? Think about it. It's not rocket science, right? Right? Life only is, means anything if we're known and loved, and know others and love others, right? But, but, and that brings happiness, that brings joy, but no one knows you and loves you more than Jesus. Despite all your flaws, despite all your sins, despite all your failures, despite all your shortcomings. And so if you can't be happy in that, friends, you can't be happy. The king is here. Our sins are forgiven. We can be made right with God. We are his people, and he is one day coming back for us. He is with us in every circumstance. He is lavishing his grace upon us every single moment of every single day. He's coming soon to right every wrong, reward all suffering, all our suffering and service, punish the wicked, remove all brokenness so that we can reign with him forever in a world free from sin. There's a lot of joy to be had in Jesus. And so this Christmas, church family, let's give Jesus joy worthy of a king. Let's just delight in him. Let's just enjoy him this Christmas. You know, the trappings is great. Everything is great. You know, I love the lights. I love the gifts. That's, it's all wonderful. But man, Jesus is the gift. Let's rejoice in him this Christmas and give him joy worthy of a king. Number three. Final, next, number four. Number four is worship worthy of a king. Worship worthy of king. It says that they went to the house, they saw the child with, his, uh, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Now, just imagine this scene, you know. Uh, this, this great entourage shows up. You got these massive camels. You ever seen a camel? They are huge. A camel spit in my face one time. I hate camels. I'm dead serious. Spit in my face is disgusting. Okay? But, um... Giant camel show up, and uh, so imagine, you know, you're Mary, and you're at home, all right, and you get a knock at the door, and these guys who look like royalty are, like, at the door, and Mary's like, oh, no, I didn't sweep the floor. What am I going to do? You know, she's, like, panicking. That's what Meg would do. She'd be like, ah, I didn't clean up. But, um, but 
and the, and, and, but they come in, and they see, the, and she's, she's, she's got the child, and they fall on their faces before this child. Now, just think about that. These men, they're like royalty, all right? And it says there that they fell down and worshipped him. So, so again, they, now falling down, right, it doesn't mean that they, they tripped, all right? It means that they prostrated themselves, okay? So, in, you know, in, in you know, humanity, right, in society, right, there are certain gestures, right? In, in certain cultures, it's, it's, it's proper if you're like, if you meet like a superior, like an older person, in some cultures you bow. That's a sign of respect, right? And then, and, and then there's then the kind of the next level, if you will, is like, is like kneeling, right? If I, if I kneel in front of you, if I get on my knees, maybe I'm begging you for something, right? That's, the ne- that's kind of, the, that's kind of a, a deeper sign of like need or respect or reverence, right? But of course, falling down on your face in front of someone is, that's, you can't get any lower than that. Right? And so what are they saying? They're saying that despite all of their external human greatness, we're in the presence of someone who I'm not even worthy to stand in. And he's a child. A child. Right? Because, but what, they know something about this child, right? They know that he's, he's you know, that they were just in Herod's palace, and it didn't say that they fell prostrate before Herod, but they did fall prostrate before Jesus. So it's, it's, not, it's, not, the, it's not the king, it's not the, it's not the castle, it's not the throne, it's the, it's the child. One worthy of our highest respect, reverence, worship, submission. This is Jesus. This is our king. And that's what worship is, right? That, 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 it's a fitting, it's a fitting physical expression of worship because it also describes how all worship should be, right? When you're laying down face on the ground in front of someone, what are you doing? You're laying down all that you are before all that he is. But what is that? That is worship, Right? Worshiping Jesus is what? It's laying down all that you are before all that he is. In Romans 12, Paul describes it like this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, right? Your spiritual worship. To worship the king is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him, your time, your talents, your gifts, your energies, your abilities, your love, your adoration, your praise, your service, you're giving it to God. You're, you're a living sacrifice, laying yourself, as it were, down on the altar as a pleasing gift to him, right? In the Old Testament, right, they would offer uh, uh, their sacrifices, right? They would offer livestock, right? Well, you know, that wasn't a small gift. I mean, a full-grown cow right now is a couple grand, all right? That wasn't a small gift, right? They were laying down their gifts as an altar, as what? As an act of worship, as an act of adoration, as an act of praise to God. But guess what? The sacrifices that Christ desires aren't dead ones, but living ones. 
we can, you know, we can, we can give to God this, we can give to God that, we can give to God a tip in the offering plate, but God's not interested in your money. He wants you. If he has you, he's got your money. He's not worried. God doesn't need your money. God wants you to lay down all that you are before all that he is. Right? Because what? Jesus, Jesus isn't asking of us anything that he already didn't do for us. Jesus gave all of himself for you. He didn't keep something back. He didn't think, oh, I see, I see Chad over there 2,000 years in the future. I know he's not going to be good enough, so I'm going to keep a little bit back. No. Jesus gave all of himself for all of us. He held nothing back, and that's what worship is. And so this Christmas, the Lord wants to remind us to render to Jesus worship worthy of a king. Maybe there's something in your life that you've been holding back from Jesus. You know, say, Jesus, you can have this, you can, you can have that, you know, but hey, you know, this thing right here, I'm just going to keep it tucked in here, nice and tight. Nobody can see it, but you can't touch this. It's time to render to Jesus worship worthy of a king. Let's give it all to him. Let nothing be off, off the table to give to him in worship. So number four, worthy worship of a king. Finally this morning, number five, presence worthy of a king. It says they offered to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we see that the wise men give Jesus three gifts. Um, and that's typically where we get this idea that there were three wise men. But actually, we don't know that. We don't know how. There could be two, four, ten. We don't know how many wise men. All it just says is they gave three gifts. All right? But we do know what they gave him. It says they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you know, we could read some into the symbolism there. I mean, you know, gold, of course, is extremely valuable. Uh, to this day, gold is used as a physical store of value. At the time that I wrote this sermon, gold was over $2,000 an ounce, so if you want to give your pastor some gold for Christmas, just, yes. I'll be up here after the service. But, um, so um, $2,000 an ounce, all right. Frankincense uh, is a valuable resin that was used as a type of incense that, that was associated with, with worship and offering, so that could have something to do with it. Myrrh was a similar, similarly prized uh, air, aromatic resin, um, and that interestingly was used oftentimes in the burial of bodies. So there might be some symbolism there. I think probably one of the main things is that all of these gifts were very rare, very valuable, very expensive. In other words, the wise men reckon, in other words, these are the kind of gifts that you would bring to show somebody that you weren't holding anything back, that you spared no expense, right? That, that you're giving them the very best that you got, all right? And, and, and so that's what, that's what they're doing, right? They're trying to give Jesus presence worthy of a king, right? I mean, they're treating, they are treating Jesus as good or better as they would the, the greatest earthly nobility because that's who he is. And then some. And so the lesson for us this Christmas is this. Let's honor Jesus with our gifts, our whole lives, 
not the least of which is our material possessions. Let no gift be too great that we won't give to Jesus. You know, in a season that, you know, in many ways has become almost entirely about gift giving, why not let your greatest gift this year be to Jesus? I mean, it is his birthday. Why not let your greatest gift this year be to Jesus? You know, as Southern Baptists, one of the ways that we have traditionally given our best gift to Jesus has been through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I think it's a wonderful gift. I think it's one of the best gifts because it's a gift we give to Jesus that he turns around and uses so that he can give the gift of himself to people all over the world that desperately need him. You probably, hopefully you recognize the faces on the video earlier because they're from Eastman. And they are supported by the gifts that we give in this room to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And I can't think of a better gift to give Jesus than to say, you know what, Jesus? I want you to give yourself to others. So I give this gift to you. Because that's what Christmas is about. It's about the greatest gift that was given, not by us, but by God to us. And so it's Christmas Eve. There's lots of anticipation. I got something under the tree. I don't know what it is. But you know what? If all the gifts went away, Jesus would be enough. And so I just, I love you. I rejoice over you, church family. I hope this tonight, today, tomorrow, however you spend it, I just pray that it is full of joy in Jesus. And may that fill our hearts and fill our church this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, you are worthy of more than we could possibly give. But Lord, despite our weaknesses, despite our failures, despite our shortcomings, by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, I do believe with all our hearts, Lord, that we want to give you gifts worthy of a king. And so, Lord, kind of like, <laughs> like children, Lord, who, who say, oh, Daddy, I want to give you a present. You know, can I have some money so I can buy you a present? Lord, we don't have anything to give you except what you've already given to us. But Lord, we're your children and we want to give to you. And so, Lord, fill our hearts this Christmas season. Fill us, Lord. Grant us the grace to, get, to give out of joy to you, even, even if it's, it has to be something you've already given to us. Lord, we want to give you gifts worthy of a king. Our hearts, our lives, our affections our praise, our surrender. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.